You ready? All right. And I'm on? Okay, good. All right, we completed the epistle of Romans. Uh, While I was in chapter 15, the subject of Gentile indebtedness was mentioned. And um, I indicated that there was more to that that uh, we could talk about at some point. And Trevor suggested that uh, I follow up with that this week before I move, as we move into Lent, to go into looking at the theology of the hymns related to the cross. Um, so, I place this under a title of, uh, for the series of Tzedakah, Benevolence, and Charity, because these three concepts in Judaism and in Christianity are related terms. So the word tzedakah, and you guys know this, is the word for justice. It's the feminine form of that. It's really about care of the poor, strangers, widows, and orphans within the gates or within the town, your local area. Two passages related to that, we'll look at them very quickly. Deuteronomy 14, verse 28 and 29 talks about this. It says, at the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce in that year and deposit it in your town, in your gates. The Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are in your town, shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 26, um, if you're in 14, you can get there pretty quickly. Uh, Verse 12 uh, talks about this as well. It says in verse 12, When you finish paying all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, then you shall give it to the Levite, to the stranger, to the orphan, and to the widow, that they may eat in your towns, or within your gates, and be satisfied. Context of these verses is the first tithe, which is the first fruits that we talk about, that 10% that is given as a testimony that God has provided for us. When we appear, when we give that, it's given Biblically, at the tabernacle, it's given at the temple. Later, that became uh, understood in Christianity as being connected to the place where God places His name, that is, the congregation. It's a little different with synagogues. They operate uh, in the modern era under this thing of dues. You actually pay dues to be a member of the synagogue. But they keep the benevolence tithe which is this second tithe, done every third year, or sometimes people attribute it to an amount of, say, three and a third percent of their regular tithe that they do all the time. Because we're in a money economy rather than a farming economy, although we may be switching back, right? Um, so, uh, connected but distinct to the tithe, then, is this third-year tithe that goes to the Levite, the stranger, the widow, and the orphan in your town. The first one goes to the temple, or the place where God places His name. This second one is done locally. It's done within the community that you know. People that you know are in need of food or in need of shelter, uh, those kinds of things. Particularly, 
uh, widows and orphans uh, for Israel, the Levite, because they didn't inherit any land in the process. So they needed to depend on the rest of the people. These verses are associated with verses that talk about leaving the corner of your vines uh, and your field. If you leave a bale out there, you don't go back and get it. Don't beat the branches of your olive tree completely. Allow for some so that the poor can come to the corner of your fields or to your, uh, your produce areas and can glean for themselves. Um, those ideas of caring for the poor and the widow and the orphan uh, in Judaism is about justice. God gives to us unevenly and we redistribute it ourselves in, in that sense. If you've been reading through the scriptures in the normal readings, you know that we just read through a section of the, man, the giving of the manna. And the fascinating thing in the manna is that as they went out to get it, they gathered whatever they gathered. Some gathered a lot and some gathered less. When they added it all together and divided it out, there was the amount God had prescribed for them to get for each person. Again, getting unevenly, but it evening out in this sense of justice. Now, uh, the one who gathered much, it says... Did not want, and the one who gathered little, the one who gathered much had enough, and the one who gathered little had enough. So the idea is that there was a full measure to all. This one is not a testimony of God's blessing. These acts actually bring a blessing on the people. In other words, uh, the tithe is all God's already provided, and we're giving this. In this case, you're using this for those who are in need. And when you lend to the poor, you're lending to God. He, he blesses in that context. Um, so in Christianity, this type of giving has been called benevolence. It includes the idea of doing good to others with a desire to promote their happiness and well-being. And it is associated with being merciful. Translated kindness in the King James Bible and specifically with the word alms. These acts of love toward one's neighbor, whether they're known or not known, in the King James Bible is associated with the word particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We know it as the love chapter, but if you've read it in the King James, you know it doesn't use the word love. It uses the word charity. Charity is this way. Charity is this way. So that word agape is translated charity in the King James. And that became the common word for giving care to the poor, to strangers, to the needy and the widows and orphans. So much so that organizations that care for the needy began to be called charities. Um, and that... So you can see that these terms are related. I want to talk about something that is, I think, part of this, but has a unique perspective with regard to Jews and Gentiles. And so I've entitled this Gentile Indebtedness, and it comes from Romans chapter 15. So if you'll go to Romans chapter 15, we'll take a look at that. Beginning of verse 24, I talked about this 
couple weeks ago when we went through the passage. I mentioned it, but I didn't really unpack it. I want to do that today uh, because I really think that we need to think about... We're doing some of this already, so this is not fully new, but I think that we may need to step some of this up. In chapter 15, verse 24, the Apostle Paul says... Uh, But now, he's talking about, I need to go to Spain. When I go to Spain, I hope to see you in passing. That is, he's going to go through Rome on his way. And be helped on my way there by you. And when I first enjoyed your company for a while, but now, he said, I am going to Jerusalem. Serving, ministering, deaconing the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a... Contribution. This word is not contribution. It's actually koinonia. It's a sharing. A sharing for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Notice it's not just the saints in Jerusalem. It's the poor in Jerusalem. Because many Jews who are coming to Messiah are being removed from family and friends and occupations and even synagogues. He says, yes, they were pleased to do this, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I finish this, and I put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on my way to you by Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So Paul in this passage tells the Romans that he wants to see them on his way to Spain. But he has something he has to do first. He has to go to Jerusalem. His plan is to go to Jerusalem by Pentecost. That's when Jews from all over will be there. There will be This will be done in the sight of Israel. That Gentiles are providing help for the poor in Jerusalem. Brilliant. Just brilliant. So he says, Macedonia and Achaia, the churches that Paul has started, are pleased. They're wanting to do this. They're wanting to do this sharing with the Jews, the poor in Jerusalem, uh, because they're indebted to them. There is a Gentile indebtedness to these poor Jewish believers. And so they're pleased to be able to share with them. Why are they indebted to them? Well, Paul says that the Gentiles have shared in the spiritual things of the gospel and the promises and the blessings. He doesn't spell it out, but he does that in the rest of the letter. And they are indebted then to share their material things, their material goods, their food and their uh, their clothing and their money uh, with them. And the way Paul writes this, when he talks about this service, he uses the same word that he uses in Romans 12. This is an act of worship. This is a a statement of thanksgiving to God by caring for their fellow brothers and sisters uh, and the God of Israel and the Israel of God are being seen together in that context. Now, Paul sees this as a um, 
as a principle. It's a principle that he mentions in 1 Corinthians 9. If you'll turn with me real quick, we'll just take a look at that. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verse 7. He says, uh, he, well, he's kind of upset. He's saying, why do Barnabas and I have to uh, take care of ourselves? Don't we, can't we bring along a wife and, and do, are we not like the other apostles? So he says in verse 7, who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat from it? Who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I'm speaking on human terms according to human judgment. Does not the law also say these things? It's written, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing uh, the floor. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? No, he's talking about a principle. Is he speaking for our sake? Yes, for our sake. It's written, the plowman ought to plow in hope of the thresher and threshing in hope of sharing, there's that word, of the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others have this right, don't we more? However, Paul says, we're not going to do it. Paul's, Paul had a concept that he was going to minister to these churches freely. He would work and minister to them freely because that was a way, one, to make them see that he's not just doing it for money, but secondly, that they would get the idea that ministry is what you do for another at your expense, right? So he believes that there's a principle, a biblical principle, that when spiritual things are sown, material things are received. They're reaped in that, in that context. And so Paul talks about this as a compensation that those who preach the word should live of the word. He foregoes that. I, to some extent, have foregone that for the same reason I think that there's a benefit to that, but that doesn't deny the principle that Paul is, is talking about. So what is Paul doing? He's actually taking up a collection from the Gentile churches to be given at Pentecost to the Jews in Jerusalem. And he talks about that to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We looked at it again, so I'm simply going to uh, read it quickly and and. And talk about it briefly. He says concerning the collection for the saints. Now this is the saints in Jerusalem. As I directed the churches of Galatia. You do also. On the first day of the week. Each one of you is to put aside and save. As he may prosper. So that no collections are made when I come. When I arrive. Whomever you may approve. I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it is fitting for me to go, they will go with me. And I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, because I'm going to Macedonia. And perhaps I'll stay with you and even spend the winter there. Uh, but I want to remain in Ephesus, verse 8, until Pentecost. Because that's when he's, he's going to bring this, this gift. So, notice what he's telling them. He's not telling them to do what we do with the Zedaka box. And set it aside. He's telling them to be setting aside this money regularly themselves. As they may prosper. As God has blessed you. So what can you 
share with these Jews who are in need. And, and since you have benefited from their spiritual blessings, you are giving to them material things. Now Paul picks this up. Uh, I find this fascinating. It's one of the reasons why uh, those of you who took the marriage and family class, I talk about a, trying to keep a separate offering account kind of thing. Because as you see that money building up, there's a tendency, temptation, to say, well, it doesn't need, they don't need all of that, so I'll take some of it back. That's the Ananias and Sapphira problem, right? Uh, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, it's superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness, and I boasted to you to the Macedonians that Achaia, that is Corinth, has been prepared since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. They said, well, if we, if we owe and our indebtedness, we're paying our bill too, right? If they can pay the bill, we can pay the bill. That's what they're saying. So he says, uh, but I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you might not be made empty in this case, so that as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. Because they had said they were going to help. They had made a pledge that they were going to do this. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead of you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness, you know, pulling it back. Now I say this, the one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. However, this is a free will offering. Each one must do just as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or under any compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that you always have all sufficiency in everything, and that you may have abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, I want you to understand these verses are about the indebtedness of the Gentiles to the Jews. It's in that context that this specific offering is done. I've talked a lot about it in the past, but I've mentioned it and you've been experienced with it to some extent. But I want to give some examples of what he's talking about. He's worried that they might fail on their pledge, but he wants to make it clear that this is a free will offering. Nobody's under obligation to do it. People can do it if they, if they feel that sense of obligation. Uh, but Paul says that if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you'll reap generously. And I think he's talking about laying up treasure in heaven. Some of this will be a blessing on earth. But a great deal of this has to do with the kingdom to come. And this is a principle that is found in the scriptures and goes all the way back to Genesis. So turn with me to Genesis 12 and we'll take a look at it. And again, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm trying to weave them together so that the gestalt of this kind of hits you. In Genesis chapter 12, first three verses... 
The Lord said to Avram, we know him as Abraham, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Israel is the basis of God's people and the Messiah and all the spiritual blessings that we get. And God says that those who bless Israel in that context, God will bless. So that notion of the indebtedness and the blessing and the reward is what Paul is talking about. So I want to give you some examples of this just so that you see this is not a this is not an investment in the poor of Israel to win the lottery. But it is about the favor of God being upon our lives when we are doing this. So in Exodus chapter 1, we're going to go um, through this quickly. Exodus 1. There's a fascinating little verse. Um, Between uh, verses 16 and uh, 20. It says. Pharaoh says. When you are helping the Hebrew women give birth. And you see them on the birthing stool. If it's a son. You shall put him to death. If it's a daughter. She will remain alive. But the midwives feared God. And did not do what the king of Egypt had commanded them. But let the boys live. Now the midwives aren't giving an offering. But they're giving, they're risking their lives and their livelihood to benefit the women of Israel. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? I love the response of the midwives. Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and they give birth before the midwife can even get to them. That's probably not true. Okay? But it's fascinating. They bake. What does Pharaoh know? Right? <laughs> so God was good to the midwives. And the people multiplied and became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God. He established households for them. They're blessing Israel. God is blessing them. Right? Now, turn to Exodus 9. That verse you know, this one you might not know. 19, I'm sorry. No, it's 9. It's verse 19. My glasses are giving me trouble. So Exodus chapter 9, verse 19. This is the plague of hail. You know, the hail that turned into fire and all of that, right? Now therefore, send and bring your livestock and whatever you have in the field to safety. Every man and beast that is found in the field and is not brought into the house, when the hail comes down on them, shall die. So God says, this is there's going to be one crazy hail storm. And you need to get all your animals inside the house. I mean, you can imagine this. Right? Just get them inside the house. Right? If you leave them outside, they'll die. The one 
the one among the servants of Pharaoh, who feared the word of the Lord, made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. You noticing what's going on? An Egyptian is fearing the Lord and obeying his word. But he who paid no regard to the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Now the Lord said to Moses, stretch your hand towards the sky that hail may fall on the land of Egypt, on man and on beast and on every plant of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Moses stretched out his staff towards the sky and the Lord put thunder and hail and fire down on the earth and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. And there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very severe, such as not had been in the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. And it struck all that were in the field, all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The hail struck every plant of the field and shattered every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel was, there was no hail. Following this? The warning was to the Egyptians to get their stuff inside the house. And when they obeyed the word of the Lord, they received the same blessing in slightly different form to the Jews themselves, to Israel itself. One more text. Joshua. Chapter 6. Just one verse. Verse 17. God says that we're going we're gonna to destroy Jericho and everything in Jericho belongs to me and you're not going to take any of it. You're going you're gonna, to you know, just destroy it. He says the city shall be under the ban and all the, of it belongs to me. Only Rahab the harlot And those who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. You getting it? Now, what could I say? I could sound like the book of Hebrews. I could go on throughout the scriptures where those who are Gentiles and fear the Lord and walk in His ways and help Israel are benefited and blessed. And so I think that this is something that we need to consider. I could go on with the examples. But we know that we're debtors to Israel and sharers in their spiritual promises. So should we help them? I think we should. Okay. The Disciple Center congregation has been connected to the Jewish people. I'm watching my time. Uh, and the Israel of God from, the, from our beginning. We've always done that. From time to time, we've helped through various organizations. Uh, through Chabad with their telethons, First Fruits of Zion with some of their benevolence things, the Joseph Project of the Messianic Jewish Alliance, and Hevra with Rabbi Shipman, uh, particularly both in Jerusalem and in Ukraine. Uh, we've done it as a congregation. And I know many of you are doing it individually. I'm hoping that we can increase this both as a congregation and as individuals. The need right now among the remaining Holocaust survivors 
really continues. And there are organizations that do it. One of the problems I have with organizations is that organizations, for the most part, take an enormous amount for overhead. Now, there are some that don't, and those ought to be supported. HEVRA is one of those where there's very little overhead in that context. Um, but the, the Jews in Eastern Europe and in Ukraine are in terrible need. Uh, we've been doing some work smuggling some of them out into Moldova and then into Israel. Israel will take them if we can get them to Moldova, but they won't come into Ukraine for them. Uh, so if we get them to there, then they will get them into Israel and then they can be taken care of. But there are also needs in Israel. And so um, Rabbi Shipman is going to Jerusalem, I think this week, in order to see what, what's going on in that context. I, I believe we're indebted to them. And I hope that you sense that too. Because I want us to find ways individually and as a congregation, where we can bless the Israel of God and bring glory to the God of Israel. Because it is this God who is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think we need to be more clear to them and to our fellow Christians that this is a debt that we owe. And if we begin to be more open about the repayment of that, maybe some of them will do the same. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I know this is not a major doctrine in your scriptures, but it is there. And it's woven throughout the Torah and the prophets and the gospels and the epistles. And so I think it's important. So help us, Lord, to uh, appropriately handle it in this congregation and in our households. So that we don't just pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but we act on behalf of the poor in Jerusalem. We don't just pray for the Jews in the diaspora, but we try to help the ones that are particularly in need. And help us to do it as directly as possible, Lord, in a relational manner. So that it will be seen and understood by them that we are uh, manifesting our indebtedness to them. We have benefited from the gospel. We have benefited from the promises. We have benefited from the blessings. Let us be a blessing to them as well, Lord. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.